0: You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to be in verse 15 today. Uh, This coming month, we have birthdays for two of our parents and our families, uh, Katie's mom and my dad, and I just got to say that uh, our parents are some of the hardest people to buy gifts for. Uh, Not necessarily because they are picky, but because they just, when they need something or want something, they just go buy it. And so you know, it's not like they're independently wealthy. They just don't have a lot of like needs or wants, and so they just they just buy what they need, and and, and that's that. And so uh, we we come to birthday time, and we're like, what what do you get them? You know, and and maybe you have somebody in your family who's like that. And uh, you know, we, this is kind of an age old question: What do you give to someone who has everything? Right? We've all asked that question before. And so hold on to that thought, because for the last two Sundays, uh, we as a church have been studying an incredible section of the book of Ephesians where Paul is praising God for the fact that, that the church has been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, there is not anything in heaven or on earth that would benefit your walk with Jesus that God not ha- has not already provided to you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. That's incredible. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if he has transformed your heart and changed your life, then you are someone who has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so now Paul is going to move into a prayer for this church and as he does, it begs a question similar to the one that we might ask about birthday gifts. What do you pray for someone who has everything they need? What are you going to ask God for who, when he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Do, do I pray that, that God would make him, them his children? No, he's already done that, Right? Do I pray that God would forgive their sin? No, no, He's already covered their sin with the blood of Christ. Do do I pray that God would give them more of the Holy Spirit? Nope, He's already given them all of the Holy Spirit that He could possibly give as a seal and a guarantee of their inheritance. And so that's what makes Professor Howard Honer of Dallas Theological Seminary say this about this passage that we're going to study today. He says, this could be a prayer called the prayer for those who have everything. The prayer for those who have everything. We're going to learn from Paul how to pray like we believe that God has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. We're going to learn how to pray for our church knowing that we have been enlightened to the plan of God that is beyond imagination because he has imparted his spirit into our hearts. And so what do you pray for a church who has already been given everything? You pray for a full understanding of everything they've already been given. Here's our big idea for today. Pray for a full grasp of all God is doing through his church pray for a full grasp of all God is doing through his church just to remind you of the context we're in a study of the book of ephesians we're going to go the whole way through the book we're finishing out chapter 1 today we're we're preaching uh th- this this book that's going to take us just to the beginning of 2022 uh, so that we're, so we're going to take a little bit of time here and we're going to make sure that we really understand what God wants for his church. Ephesians is an epistle. It's a a letter, probably a letter that was encyclical. It was sent to a whole group of churches in and surrounding the city of Ephesus. And it's written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit while he is under house arrest in the city of Rome. Now, typically, Paul opens up his letters by identifying himself addressing his readers, and then immediately launching into a prayer of thanksgiving for them. But Ephesians is different. Ephesians front loads the prayer with a section of praise to God for the unimaginable blessings that they have in Christ. That's what we studied last week. And then he uses that to base his prayer of thanksgiving and petition on the fact that they, have, that they would have this full grasp of all that they have in Christ. Now, the last blessing that he mentioned in the previous section, if you were here last week, you might remember, was that of the Holy Spirit, that they were sealed with the guarantee of the promised Holy Spirit. And it's out of that thought that he then launches into this glorious prayer with the words, for this reason. For this reason. And I should always make us ask, for what reason? Well, for the reason for that he just talked about. Because we have been blessed, because we have the Holy Spirit. That's why he's praying. Based on everything that we've been given in Christ, this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, and through the miracle of Holy Scripture, this is Paul's prayer for everyone who reads this book today. And it must become our prayer as well. And so we're going to read, and then we're going to study, and then we're going to actually pray together. Okay? So look with me in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23. If you have a Bible, I just so encourage you to be reading God's word for yourself as I read. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you for you, remembering you in my prayers. which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. If that doesn't leave you in wonder about what we are doing right here, right now, then you are stone cold dead. I believe it's so important that we pause to realize that This amazing section of Scripture is first and foremost a prayer. It is a prayer. It is a prayer that if you aren't in wonder yet, you better start praying now. It is the first of two major prayers in this book both of which complement one another. We're going to get to the second one at the end of chapter 3, but we need to understand this prayer at the beginning of the book is the key to grasping the unimaginable plan for God of God for his church. The truth is that Paul inserts this particular prayer here because if he doesn't pray this for them, they will not fully grasp the mystery that God has revealed to them. Prayers like this one help us realize that we are totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to give us an understanding and to guide us in our Christian walk and activity in the church. See, Bible reading is not just like any other reading, like reading a novel or a biography. Bible reading is a spiritual exercise in which we actually get to engage with the author himself. the whole purpose of the book of Ephesians, the whole purpose that Paul is writing this letter is that they would pursue God's unimaginable vision for his church so that he would receive much glory. And Paul has to pray a prayer like this in order for them to get it. Dr. Abner Chow says, if you want to understand the book of Ephesians, you have to pray this prayer. We will not be aware of all that we have in Christ. Our hearts will be cold to it. We will not be aware of all that God wants to do in our church unless we are a church that is devoted to praying fervent prayers like this one. And it's my hope today that your prayers for our church would deepen as you learn to pray with Paul. If you attend another church, it's my prayer that your prayers for that church would deepen as you learn to pray with Paul. Not just praying for temporal, physical things. Not just praying for God to bless us with comfort and ease and minimal opposition in life. Take out all the obstacles, Lord. No, no, no. Prayer that is informed and enlightened by the revelation of Jesus Christ at work through His body, the church. We we often talk about praying in accordance with God's will. And if you want to pray for the will of God to be done, you absolutely have to understand that God's will is marching forward in this age through His church. That's His plan. That's His will. And so today we're going to look at three elements of enlightened prayer. And the first is this. Pray thankfully for the fruit of God in His church. Pray thankfully for the fruit of God in His church. Ephesians 1.15 For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So Paul is praying this prayer because of all the blessings that they already have in Christ, in particular the blessing of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, but it's important to remember that we won't see any of those blessings if we don't have eyes of faith. And we don't have proof of those blessings without a love that particularly extends toward all the saints that's within the church, both local and global. Faith and love are the fruit of God blessing His church. Faith is initiated and given by God when He sends a messenger to proclaim the gospel and he opens our hearts and our eyes to receive it. That's faith. That's when faith is born. It's not a work done by us. It is is not a result of our superior intelligence or some sort of extra spiritual disposition that we just naturally have in us. We're going to see that clearly in the next section that we're following. We're going to study next week, by the way. But faith is the fruit of God's work enlightening the eyes of our hearts to see God. Faith is the result of God entering into our darkness, into our dead spiritual understanding, and turning the lights on. Similarly, love is the fruit of God by which we live in His lights, in full relationship with Him and in full relationship with one another. That's love. Faith is the lights going on. Love is the enjoyment and expression of that light. And the love Paul is talking about here has a specific direction. It's toward all the saints. Love toward others in the body of Christ. If you want to walk into a church and see if it's healthy... Look for the love. If you, if you see love between the believers in a church, understand that is a miracle of God. That is a downright miracle of God. And some of you know what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing, right? Because you've experienced when that doesn't happen in a church. Because people are claiming faith, but they still live in a dark, the darkened understanding of their flesh. Now typically in Paul's prayers, faith and love would be accompanied by a third element of fruit, uh, hope. Hope. And if faith is the lights going on in the room that you're in, and love is the enjoyment and expression of that light with others who see it too, kind of like a party in a room, then hope is looking from that bright room that you are currently in down a darkened hallway, and you can see just a little bit, and you can see just a little bit of the end but you know that there's still more to come knowing you're you're knowing that even though things are shadowy now god will reveal all things in his time hope is the confidence that god promise, that god's promises and purposes will come to pass even when we can't fully see it now And so Paul gets to hope later in this prayer. We won't discuss it in detail here, but faith, hope, and love are the abiding fruit of God's work in a church. And so Dr. Gene Getz calls them the measure of a healthy church. Do you want to know if our church is healthy? Do you want to know if the church that you are a member of is healthy? Then first of all, look at where we put our faith. Where do we put our faith? Do we put our faith in earthly measures of success or do we put it in the power of our risen and reigning Lord? Do we work in our own power or do we fervently pray for God to work? Do we tolerate idols in our hearts and put our faith in them instead of God? Do we long for and rely upon the nourishment of God's word because we believe that it is the only source of life and truth? If you want to know if we're healthy, look at where we put our faith and then look at where, how we love one another. Look at how we love one another. Do we truly care about one another? Is our love toward all the saints or, or just the ones who are easy for us to love? Do we forgive each other when sinned against? Do we forbear differences of of opinion and things that annoy us? Do we speak truth to one another and point one another to Jesus? Do we actually prioritize spending time together? Or are we we just off doing our own thing 99% of the week and give God our one hour a week? If you want to know if we're healthy, look at our faith, look at our love, and then look at where we find our hope. Do we talk about the kingdom of heaven more than we talk about how worried we are about about the politics and events of this world? Do we sing and speak of heaven with great joy and expectation? Do we point one another to a a hope that is untouched by flesh and blood and uncorrupted by Satan, sin, or death? Do we courageously bear witness to Jesus Christ, recognizing that this world is not our home, and so nobody can do anything to us? A church that is healthy will increase in measures of this kind of fruit. Faith, hope, and love. And Paul had heard a report about the churches in and around Ephesus, and he was able to thank God for the fruit that he had produced in those churches. These churches were healthy. Yes, they needed more growth in their hope. We'll get to that in a second. But their faith and their love for all the saints was firing on all cylinders. And so every time that Paul prayed, he made mention of them in his prayers. This kind of thankful prayer for the fruit of God in His church is essential for having a full grasp of the plan of God in the present age. See, so often we can focus on what is not ideal about the church and our relationships in it. Some of you right now possibly are are focusing on ways that, that you have not seen faith, hope, and love in Christ's church currently or in the past. Conversations that you've had that didn't go as well as you thought they should or ways that you've been slighted or hurt in the past. And listen, I, I, I know that that stuff is real. But it can be easy to love our dream for an ideal church rather than to love the church that God has actually given us. And God is... At work in his church. I promise you, he is. And Thanksgiving gives us eyes to see that. Thankful prayer goes looking for evidences of grace instead of looking for all the things that could be wrong. We have one light that's out in the lobby out here. I wonder if anybody picked up on that. Oh man, that light's out. I did. (laughs) I was trying to fix it this morning, but the ballast is out. Thank God! Instead, for all that He's given us, we we thank we acknowledge our thankfulness first to God and then to the other person. We've talked about this before. That it was Paul's pattern of prayer to give his thankfulness to God and then to tell the other person what he was thankful about. Uh, that was in our reading plan. If you were following along in our reading plan the last couple of weeks, and and. Uh, that we would actually follow that kind of pattern because it is an appropriate, very biblical pattern. Have you told somebody what you are thankful to God for them in in the past two weeks? If not, make it happen this week. Make it happen this week. Yes, God still has work to do in us. We aren't in heaven yet, but he has already done so much. He has brought dead people to life. He has made sworn enemies, brothers and sisters in Christ. He has given us a common mission and bonded us together as a church. He has given us faith, hope, and love. And can I just tell you right now, O'Kill, I am so thankful to God for you. I'm so thankful to God for you. What God is doing in our church, I believe, is so special. It is unique. And I can honestly say that I can answer yes to the vast majority of the diagnostic questions that I asked earlier. I've seen faith, hope, and love in countless ways, not the least of which is the move that has just gone on in the last two weeks. Yes, God provided a building, and that's great. We are thankful for the building. But I've been delighting in the beautiful ways that so many of you have stepped up to serve one another and the joy and the love with which you've done it. I've, I've just been enjoying being with you these past few weeks. Like, I got to be honest, there's a part of me, and just a part, that is kind of sad that all the long hours of work are going to be over, <laughs> because they gave me an opportunity to be with you in a different way that I don't always get, and I just thank God for that. And, and that thankfulness gives me a window in a, into a fraction of God, what God wants to do in this world through His church, both here in Southern Lancaster County and in every nation, and can I just say, I've also been so thankful for the many people who used to attend Mount Hope United Methodist Church. It's been so thankful to God for you all because you have treated us with such kindness. And you have just been so encouraging. And you've shown a great deal of love toward all the saints who are not even your church. Necessarily. By the way, if you want it to be your church, that's fine. We'll love you. but not only that I was with a group of many pastors from Southern Lancaster County this week and and they have just also been so encouraging these past two months like they've been cheering for us and praying for us and asking about how things are going a couple of them came over they're like we just want to see what's going on it's awesome we're just so excited for you that's the fruit of God in their lives and I'm so thankful to God for them and thankfulness for the fruit that God has already provided stokes the fire for petition for what God wants to do in his church. That's where Paul goes next. Look at verse eight, sixteen. It says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's moving to petition now. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. Stop there. We'll get to what he wants us to know in a minute. But three elements of enlightened prayer. Pray thankfully. Secondly, pray theologically for the knowledge of God in his church. Pray theologically for the knowledge of God in his church. I know that as soon as I say the word theologically, some of you start breaking out into hives. We, we sometimes necess- unnecessarily equate theology with big words and dusty books and arguments that have no relevance to life. But that's not true theo- theology. And it's not what I mean when I say pray theologically. True theology is simply the study of God. Theology is an ever-deepening knowledge of God and His ways. And so, if something is called theology and it's not increasing our understanding and relationship with God, then it's not true theology. Hopefully, you can see where I'm getting this idea of praying theologically in these verses. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's true theology. First of all, you need you need some good theology to even understand what he's saying, right? Like, like we talked about this in the last two weeks that we serve a God who is Trinity, a triune God. We serve one God who eternally exists as three co-equal persons, not three different gods, not one God who sometimes appears as different persons. No, no, one God who exists in three co-equal persons: the Father, the Son. And the Holy Spirit. By the way, I just read an article last night citing a recent study that, this is going to blow your mind 58% of self identified Christians do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a real person. 58%. They, They believe instead that the Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence or purity. That number actually goes up. This is crazy. That number actually goes up with those who identify even further as born-again believers. 62% of that group does not believe that the Holy Spirit is a real person, which makes me ask: like, how do they think they were born again? Like, maybe unless you were born of water and the spirit, who who are you born again in? <laughs> and so theology the study of god is necessary we can't pray without good theology let me just let's just be clear the holy spirit is a person it's just can't walk out of here not not realizing that okay he's distinct and real and he is given to every person who puts their faith in jesus christ and the scriptures also agree that the holy spirit is sent by the father and the son He is equal in nature to the Father and Son, but he submits himself to the Father and the Son. But that's actually not the hardest part of this verse. Here's the real tricky part with the verse. Paul has already made the claim that they already have the Holy Spirit, but now he's asking them to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. What's the deal with that? Have they received the Holy Spirit or not? Let me make this clear. Paul is not praying that he would give them something that they don't already have from the outside. He's not praying that the Holy Spirit would be given from the outside as some new gift. He's praying that the Father would give them wisdom and revelation that comes through the Spirit who already indwells them. Filling them from the inside up, not the outside in. That's really important by the way when we think about worship songs and how we sing about the Holy Spirit we don't sing about the Holy Spirit like some force out there like like dark side bright light side you know like like he's from Star Wars or something like that. We choose songs that sing about the Holy Spirit in the appropriate way that we have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit that when we walk in together we together are filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is praying that the Spirit of God, would increase their experiential knowledge of God. That that He would reveal wisdom. that The living out of God's truth. And revelation. A greater understanding of what God has already said. The Spirit of God is the one who knows the mind of God and who interprets spiritual truths to spiritual people. We need the Holy Spirit to even begin to understand spiritual things. There's no growth. Without the Holy Spirit, He is the growth process for the believer. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He continues, it's up on the screen for you. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have it, and the Spirit is taking us deeper into it. God gives us the Spirit; He makes us spiritual. He gives us the mind of Christ, and then by His Spirit, He reveals the very depths of the heart and thoughts of God. Back to Ephesians one. He's not Paul's not asking God to reveal some new thing that they haven't already been given. Notice he he prays that God would give them the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Don't get confused by the translation uh, that, that's there like I first was. He's, he's not saying having the eyes of your hearts further enlightened. No, he's, he's saying the eyes of your heart have already been enlightened. And therefore, I pray that you might fully know the mind of God. That's the way the grammar is in the original. In other words, he's saying, because you have already come to know and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the lights have already been turned on for you to the incredible glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, I'm now praying that you would have wisdom and revelation from God the Spirit about the very nature of God. So this isn't praying that you would learn or know some new thing about God that nobody's ever heard before. If you come up with something new about God that nobody's ever heard before, you're wrong. This isn't praying so that you would know exactly what choices God wants you to make about very specific things, like what color car that you're supposed to buy. This isn't praying for some audible voice of God to tell you which boy or girl you're supposed to date. This is the Spirit of God taking you deeper and deeper into your knowing of God. Not just your knowing about God, like he's a figure in history, like Abraham Lincoln or somebody like that. This word is referring to your experiential knowledge of God. Your real life theology, if you will. This word is all about how you would like know your spouse or know your best friend. Paul is praying that you would know God that intimately, up close and personal, because we have been given the very Spirit of God who imparts such wisdom and revelation. He's praying that you would know God's heart, that you would know what makes Him tick, that you would know His love for you, that you would know His plans and desires, that you would know His priorities, that you would know His ways, that you would know His voice and His leading. And this is a big prayer because, listen, we serve an infinite God. It's going to take eternity for us finite creatures to search out all of the depths of the knowledge of God. And good news, he's actually granted eternity for us for that very purpose if we put our faith in him. So do you pray today for a deeper knowledge of God? Do you start out each day pleading, God, if nothing else happens, just help me to know you more. I want to know you and know you more. Help me to be more aware of what you're doing in this world and in my life. Give me insight into your word and wisdom and and into how to apply it. When you come up against a concept that you don't understand in scripture, like the Trinity, for example, do do you pray, God, I know I'm never going to fully understand you, but give me a greater sense of your glory here. Help me to see just how awesome you are in the ways that you've revealed yourself. That would be so much better than just kind of shrugging your shoulders and saying, well, guess I'll never understand that big theological concept. guess I'm going to leave that for the scholars. Give me something I can understand. No, no, no. The whole point is that we serve a God who we can't comprehend, who wants to work in ways that we can't fully comprehend, And who wants to take us deeper and deeper into the knowledge of Him. The whole goal of our existence in Christ is to know Him more so that we would give Him more glory for how much we don't know about Him. Paul doesn't want the Ephesian church to have a small view of God or a small view of what it means to be part of his church. And so that's why he constantly remembers them in his prayers. That's why he's asking the Lord to do this work in their midst, that they would know God. The fact that we get to know God so intimately should make us never cease to wonder. Which is why we must also pray transcendently for the full experience of God in his church. Pray transcendently for the full experience of God in His church. Look at the second half of verse 18. That you may know the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul wants them to know. He wants them to apprehend, to understand, and then live out of that understanding three things, the hope to which they they are called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And so he prays that they would know. He wants them to grasp what is true about them because they are in Christ. Christ. He wants them to live out of an awareness, an experience of that identity in Christ. That's what it means to know. And so first he prays that they would know the hope to which they have been called. This tells us something about our spiritual reality. Uh, You were called to hope. The, The word for call is the summons of a king. When the king calls you, you dare not say, No, I'm not going there. Don't make me be hopeful. <laughs> you would have no reason to say it, right? Because it's so good. That's why this is sometimes described in theology as the effectual call of God. Remember from last week, God chose us in He chose His people in Christ before the foundation of the world. And He predestined them for adoption. That is, He foreordained all things so that those whom He chose would actually become His children. And then the way that He brought that about was by calling us, by summoning us to Himself, which is here described as a calling to a certain hope. The call to Christ is a call to hope. Sometimes we don't know that hope as fully as we could do we just as an eclipse when the comparatively small moon overshadows the gloriously radiant sun so too the temporary trials and circumstances of our lives shroud the glory of our eternal hope i find it interesting that that paul saves hope for this last section of the prayer. He doesn't include it in the thanksgiving where it would typically belong alongside of faith and love. And honestly, I believe that Paul saves it for this part of the prayer because that's the part that they are struggling with the most. They are prone to forget for whatever reason the hope to which they are called. Are you prone to forget it? They're settling for a smaller view of the church than the grand cosmic plan that God has for it. And so he prays that they would know the hope to which they have been summoned. Second, he prays that they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is part of the blessings that we talked about last week, remember? That the church, that Israel and the nations together united in one body is the inheritance of Jesus Christ, God's anointed son. It's the inheritance that he will receive at the end of all things. The church is then presented to him as a spotless bride, holy and blameless before him. His glorious inheritance is in the saints. Get it? And because we are His inheritance, we said, He becomes our inheritance. He is the joy of our hearts. We get to enjoy God Himself and all of His blessings because God is uniting all things together in Christ. God is making all things right in Him. And that plan is moving forward specifically because our God is powerfully working beyond comprehension in and through His church. Paul prays finally that they would know the immeasurable greatness of His power toward those who believe. Those who believe. God is working out of all of the abundance of His power toward the end goal of His glory and the good of those who believe in Him. Those who believe are the church. He's using all of His might, all of His energy, all of His sovereign authority to order all things together until they reach their intended end of being united in Christ. But Paul doesn't just want to say, I want you to know that God is powerful and then just leave it at that. Like he, he that, that would be kind of weak now he wants them to to try like just try to wrap your head around how immeasurably great god's power is and so he gives a number of proofs for god's power just in case you're you are prone to forget how strong god is in your life the power that god is working toward his people is the same power that he worked in christ when he raised him up from the dead Everybody repeat this after me. Now that's power. Come on. There it is. Death is the one thing that none of us have power over, right? None of us have control over that. Death is the one thing that we can't deny or delay. We can't control it. It comes like an unwanted guest on rich and poor alike. It is no respecter of persons. And Jesus Christ died too. But he did not deserve to die. He died because our sin deserved death. And in order order to forgive our sin and to restore us into relationship with God, a perfect sacrifice had to be made. So Jesus Christ, the Son of Man and Son of God, died the death that we deserve to die. But he didn't stay dead. God the Father raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. God accepted his payment for our sin and made him the firstborn from among the dead so that we could receive his powerful life. And it is only by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, that we can come to know life. That our hearts can be enlightened to the plan of God to rescue people for himself, That our lives can be transformed and restored after the image of our Creator. And if you want to be enlightened to the plan of God and the purpose for your existence, you must turn to Christ today. The only option other than that is an eternal existence without hope, without power, and living in the consequences of sin without end. But if you have believed, then the powerful life of Jesus is alive in you. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is flowing toward you. And it is a power that goes on unshakable because the power that God is working toward His people is the same power that was given to Christ in His glorification. Paul says that He was seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. And he makes sure that we remember that this position is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Repeat it after me. Now that's that's power. We sang it earlier. All the saints, His glorious inheritance, bow down before Him. All the host of heaven shouts out before Him because they are beneath Him. There is no ruler on this planet that even comes close to the power of Jesus Christ. There is no spiritual power who can stand against the power of Christ. No angel, no demon, not even Satan himself, dares to lift a finger against the glorious power of our risen and reigning Lord. And Jesus is right now on his throne Ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, getting all things ready for His future kingdom, and He isn't going to let a hair touch His plan. All of time and space is getting prepared for the consummation of all things, for Jesus to be sitting alone on the throne with the Father. The powerful authority that is right now enlivening His church is that Of the King of the Ages. God first puts all things under his feet, and then he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, who fills all, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are in Christ like body parts connected to a head. So, what happens if someone cuts off something's head, like a chicken or something? It dies. It might run around for a little while, but it dies. It just is done. And the vitality, the, the consciousness, the direction, the decision making, the wisdom, intelligence, all comes from the head. And the head of the church is Jesus Christ. We are his body. The life of the omnipotent Son of God is filling His church to the fullness. Everyone say that with me? Now that's power. that's power. And the prayer of the enlightened believer takes on that nature of transcendence. Knowing who we are talking to and praying that we are would experience that power. That we wouldn't settle for anything less than this power, that we wouldn't think small thoughts of the church or small things of what God wants to do in us and through us. One of our fellow Great Commission Collective pastors who's up in Canada, Robbie Simon, says this. He says, I believe that we have been deceived into thinking that when we can accomplish something that we can see, then we are truly productive. Therefore, we get busy doing and lack the faith to understand that the true power of fruitfulness is built upon pleading for God to do it. That's powerful. Here's what it means. It means that we could look at something like our move into this building and think, well, look at how much we accomplished in the last two weeks. It's, it's tangible. It has a, a definite outcome. But, but moving into a building is just a means to an end. The real work starts now. Another one of my pastor friends texted me last night after I shared a picture of the sanctuary with him, and he said, that took a lot of work. Now it's time to put it to work. He's so right. I love that. I love that. The real work is the passionate worship and the bold preaching and the fervent prayer that happens in this place. It's the pleading to God for courageous evangelism and purposeful discipleship and strategic church planting. That's the real work. And that work requires true power that only comes from pleading to God for it. Paul's point as he closes out Ephesians 1 is this the ruler of the entire heavens and earth has been given to us as our head. We get to be filled with his fullness. What can't we ask in his name and for his glory? The answer is nothing. What won't we do at his direction? The answer is nothing. But we have to grasp the power. We must pray so that we would know it and access it and experience it. You understand that prayer is the most powerful thing that you can do. Prayer opens our eyes to the powerful God that we serve. Through thoughtful prayer, we can become aware of the work that God is doing to produce His fruit in our church. Through theological prayer, we come to know the God who is doing the work. And through transcendent prayer, we come to experience the power that is flowing from God through His church. We've been given everything in Christ. Will you pray for a full grasp of what God is doing through his church? Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.